0: Thank you. Right, guys, welcome to lesson 24, Ruth 1 and 2. Yes, how crazy is this? We're finally out of the book of Judges, and yet we're not. <laughs> you know why? Because the book of Ruth is in the time period of the book of Judges. This just happens to have an actual good story. This has a good ending. And in fact, in Ruth 1 1, it says, During the time of the Judges, and you want to be like, No! <laughs> And then, praise the Lord, I look at Mindy's painting over here and I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's so refreshing and soothing. And that's what you want to, you know, you feel like you just start prancing around. It's just like frolicking in the fields compared to, you know, our our skull over here and our snake. So it's just really fun. I'm, I'm excited to walk through uh, the one word of the book of Ruth. Now, the one word is known as, it's, I'm sorry, it's actually, it's actually two words, Okay. And we will explain this here, okay? Kinsman, Redeemer. Now, we know the word Redeemer means what? Guys? Someone who redeems. Someone who redeems something. So if they're redeeming something, it means that it was a bad situation and they're turning it into hope. They're turning it into a better situation. They're redeeming it for really what it was supposed to be. Now, the kinsman Redeemer, okay, this is the part that gets like, ah, what's that mean? For me in the scriptures, I always just automatically go to a family Redeemer. It's a kinsman, those who is of kin, those who are related, okay? That this family member comes in and redeems the whole situation. So what you're going to see in the book of Ruth is that very thing. You're going to see this phrase kinsman redeemer come to life. Why? Because it points to the ultimate kinsman redeemer, the Messiah. It is a beautiful picture, but now here's the craziest thing. The second that you blink, we're going to be done with the book of Ruth. We're going to go through two chapters today and then tomorrow which means that's it that's it it. and so let's kind of walk through the author okay the author most would say in jewish tradition is samuel okay most would go to that point and says that he didn't die in first samuel 16 and really 6 through 13 he didn't die until after he anointed david so he was up here until that period of time but i do want to say very clearly the author is not identified and so it's a lot of good speculation. And I think it's actually pretty accurate. But I just want to say, you know, if you have another option, send it in to Kevin. All right. Now, this time period in Ruth 1-1, we know during the time of the judges. And that means that cycle that we keep talking about, just because it's a happy, peaceful painting, it means, though, that cycle. Sorry, Kevin. Ready? This right here is really here. Right? Is that true? So this is taking place in time this time okay so anyway i'll probably not put it on straight all right so we did pretty good all right so this is the time period during the the 300 years now ruth we didn't talk about this but can you go to judges 10 3 through 5 some speculation is is that ruth could fall in between this judge period after him came jair the gileadite uh who judged israel 22 years verse 4 He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They had 30 towns in Gilead, which are called Jair's villages to this day. It continues on. Then in verse five, when Jair died, he was buried and came on. Some would speculate that in these three verses, maybe that's where Ruth fits. They would say that this book probably covers anywhere from 10, maybe up to, uh, I would say 11, excuse me, to 12 years of a time period. Now in the book of Judges, right? It's Three hundred years, so hers is a little slice of the pie. So, really, this should be the little painting, and that should be the big painting. That makes sense. So, you are just putting it into the picture, Kevin. You should get excited. Okay, so now here you have um, a couple of the situations. When you look at, you think of the book of Judges, you usually think of the Philistines as the enemy. That's kind of the the arch uh, the, the the enemy that you just kind of have this tendency, right? But now I will just say this: in this book, you have what we would call the Moabites. Okay, the Moabites are the enemy of Israel. Okay, they're east of the Dead Sea. Uh, and they begin, in fact, can we go to this, this map over here? Uh, and so here you have the Moabites typically. Now, remember when we're talking earlier on, we were talking about the Philistines in the book of Judges, right? And they have this period over here. But now over here, the Moabites, they're the ones that are going to cause problems. Why? Why are the Moabites causing problems? Well, think about this. Because in Judges 1, I'm sorry, in Ruth 1, verse 1, it says, There was a famine in the land. And so, in the land means the promised land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah, okay? So, Bethlehem, Judah, right? And it says this He, with his wife, he had two sons. And it says, They they went to live in the land of Moab for a while. Now, this is kind of like the mentality of Jesus and Mary, Joseph and Mary, going to Egypt. Does that make sense? Because there's a period of time they get away. Now, We're going to get into this a little bit about is this good that they left or not? So I'm not trying to make that comparison whether it was good or not. I'm just saying they left and went into a darker area, darker region. OK, so they went all the way around and then they went into Moab. Why did they go to Moab? This is important. Kevin, why did they go to Moab? Uh, there was a famine in the land. OK, so now this should sound pretty familiar, though. If you go to Genesis. Well, you don't have to even go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, Abraham, there was a famine in the land. So they left in Genesis 26. there was a famine in the land. Isaac, they left. And then the famous one that we know about, Genesis 46, Jacob. So there was a famine in the land. So this language of them leaving the land because there's a famine, I wouldn't, I guess in my first, my first response, I wasn't like, oh, they're, they're being disobedient. You know what I mean? They're like, well, there's a famine in the land. Let's go find food. Some commentators, even Warren Weersby, says at times it feels like they're just running away from the problems. So I just want to, I want to plant that in the back of your mind as we go through this. That actually might unfold a little bit more, about maybe, maybe he's right. I, I just, I want to get you to think about the purpose behind this. I mean, if there was a famine in Dallas, Texas, and I didn't have any food, and I found out that there was food in o- Oklahoma, I'd be like, okay, you know, you get my point. Like, you would do what you would think what you need to do for your family. But anyway, scripture says this in verse two, the man's name. Okay, so the man who was in Bethlehem, who was leaving with his family is Elimelech. Okay, Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. Now, cool name, Elimelech means my God is king. Okay, so we're going to write some of these names out because this whole thing is about a family tree. This whole thing about who's related to who, right? So Elimelech, Elimelech, okay, what's his name mean? You guys remember? My God is king. Names are really, really important in this book. And then you have Naomi. And Naomi primarily means pleasant, okay? Again, when you look at different, uh, you know, you know how you open up a baby book and you're like, what's the kid's name of the, of the meaning? It could be like four or five different meanings, which one you look. So I get it. There could be a couple of different variations. But overall, these are what you're going to see. And it says, Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. And then they had two sons, Malon, okay? Malon actually sounds very Amish. And... Killian, Kevin? What'd you say? Malon means, you ready for this one? Sick. And Killian means Sean. Yeah, what's that mean? Pining. What's that mean though? You think it means like like you're 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 wanting, you're like striving for? Is that right? Sure. Okay, so you have alimelech and Naomi, and they have two sons, Malon and Killian, okay? They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. So this whole family is from Bethlehem, Judah, which I think is the coolest. Like, I've been to Bethlehem actually a couple of times, and I'm just really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by, uh, the connection there. So they were Epaphophites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the land of Moab, and they, they settled there. Now, let's talk about Bethlehem. Let's talk about Jep- uh, Epaph, So Bethlehem means house of bread. Okay? The house of bread, it means that they are, here they are in a tribe of Judah six miles, probably south of Jebus of Jerusalem, right? Uh, Sometimes Bethlehem is known even at times as the city of David. Okay. We know then that Bethlehem is known for the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Christ. Herod slaughtered unbelievable amounts of infants there. So Bethlehem, like this is the backdrop. This is where these guys are from. Ahimelech, then we have Naomi, Malon, and Kilian. They are by birth from this community of Bethlehem. Now, let's talk through the Ephrathites. okay? Can, can you go, Kevin, to Genesis 35, verse 16, okay? And then verse 19. They set out from Bethel, okay? When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and her labor was difficult. Now, when you go to verse 19, Says so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. I have been to Rachel's tomb. So when you come outside of Jerusalem today, just so you guys have a visual, there is what we would call—they uh, have the um, the wall uh, that divides. Really, why am um, I drawing a blank here? You have Gaza and you have the West Bank, right? And so you have the the, the wall that divides Bethlehem. And uh, Jerusalem and and that community and so outside of that wall is actual Rachel's tomb. You can go in there today with you have your kippah on, you have your Jewish, uh, you're coming into a, Ju- a Jewish community, right? And this is where her her tomb is. And so Bethlehem, we always think of the Messiah being born there, but this is the patriarch and the matriarchs. Bethlehem is a staple. And in fact, here it says, they were from this community, from Bethlehem and Judah. I and mean, in verse two, they entered the land of Moab and settled there. So here you have the people from Bethlehem, the house of bread. They're leaving. They go to Moab because there is no food. And in verse three, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, what happens to him? He dies, right? So Elimelech dies. Okay, he's dead. Okay, and she was left with her two sons. Scripture continues on. And, and here's, here's some of the argument that Weirdsby says is part of him going to Moab was being disobedient, which is why he dies. Again, I can't prove it. And I I don't think they're super dogmatic about it, but I just thought it was an interesting perspective of, uh, and in fact, uh, Oswald Chambers in verse one is referencing, here's what he says, you can't run away from our problems. The majority of us begin with the bigger problem outside and we forget the one inside. A man has to learn, has to lean, A man has to learn the plague of his own heart before problems can be solved. And so they're almost, by even saying, by Chambers even saying that, he's saying Ahimelech needs to work on his issues with the Lord first before he runs away with something else. I don't know. I do think it's an interesting conversation to have. Can I prove it? Absolutely not. But I'm just getting us to process this. So in verse four, though, watch what happens. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. (laughs) Oh, no. You know what that means, right? Every time they take somebody that's not from the land, it doesn't go well. And if we're in the book of Judges, so here we go, guys. Okay, so we have Moabite wives. <laughs> All right, so the Moabite wives. One was named, oh my goodness, you guys, this is a classic name, Orpah. Not to be confused with Oprah. Orp- or Orpah. And the other one was named Ruth. Orpah was named, married to Malon, and obviously then Ruth was married to, apparently, uh, Killian, right? I think that would be fair to say. After they lived in Moab about how long? Ten years. So they were all happily married for ten years. But both Malon and Killian, they also died. Gone. So when you look at the screen, you have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. To Moabite and Naomi, who is from Bethlehem, Judah. Okay? So that's important to note. She's the only one from that region, you guys. Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, they're not. They're from the area that's not of the promised land. So it says in verse 6, she and her daughters in law, right, prepared to leave the land of Moab because She had heard in Moab. So word was out that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. This verse right here is why most theologians say Ahimelech was disobedient. Because there were people that stayed on the promised land and pressed in and prayed and and cried out to the Lord, said, we have a need. And what happened to Ahimelech? He left. He left the tough, tough situation. He left the environment. He waited until it got good because somebody else had to deal with it. Somebody else had to cry in. Somebody had to press in and pray. And then, and then Naomi hears, hey, there's something good going on back at the land. I think that's the point. I think the point of of even what Wearsby says is that there are people here saying, I'm going to stick in with the battle. So should Ahimelech. Again, uh, no fault. I'm just saying it's an interesting proposal and I do like it. I do like it in that the Lord paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. Now, praise the Lord for Naomi, because Naomi at this point is, I mean, she's a widow. She has no husband. Uh, she has no sons. She does have two daughters-in-law. And here's what's cool. It says, when this famine uh, was broke, like, right, when they had to, rain had to have come, right? Rain obviously had to have come. I think it's a really cool picture of Deuteronomy 11, verse 14, if you'll go there, Kevin. I will provide rain for your land in season, the early and late rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine and oil. God God can do it anytime. God can pour out the rain at any given time. In fact, Job 5, verse 10. Job 5, verse 10, again, has this mentality that the rain can come at any time. The question is, is do we believe that? He gives rain to the earth and sends water to the fields. And I think sometimes he's just waiting for his kids to ask. And I think his people, somebody there on that land was crying out to the Lord. And as a result, Naomi just said, hey, maybe, maybe we should go back. And so here's what you have in verse seven. She is the place, uh, she left the place where she had been living. If you go back, yeah, we're at this map uh, and accompanied by her two daughters-in-law. And she traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Now, Naomi's going to come back into Bethlehem. And as you'll see this, this text unfold in just the first chapter, but also in the second chapter, she's got friends that are there. She's got family that are there. And honestly, she has what we would even consider prosperity there. There are things all waiting, people all waiting for Naomi. She's only been gone at least the families who have been married for 10 years. So at least a minimum of 10 years. And then in verse eight, it says, she said to them, uh, this is her daughter's-in-law. Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. Now, I'm telling you, when you study this, they are so hard on Naomi right now. Like they, Naomi, who is supposed to be from Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, from like, this is like the place where they're trusting in God. And she tells her Moabite daughter-in-laws, go back and worship your false gods. That's basically what she's saying. I see this perspective of saying, no, 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 don't, don't send them back to false worship. Keep them with you. And I just think there's part of her that's just like, go, you just, just Go. In verse 9, may the Lord enable each one of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. Like, I think as a human, I think she had good intentions for them. Go find another husband. Like, get taken care of. The difference was, and this is the major problem with Naomi, her eyes were not on the Lord. They were on the man. The man could provide, but God could ultimately provide in the new land for them. But in her mind, she was just thinking out of flesh, ah, go... Go find a husband. Like, what if they walked into the promised land and God shows up in a miraculous way? She wasn't thinking like that. I think in a lot of ways she was thinking in terms of her culture. Like, that's just what they did. If her husband dies, she goes back and looks for a new one. And in fact, let, let's just even say this. I'll come to this point in a second. There's a verse that proves that. So let's just keep going. That's a great point, Jeff. So it says in, in verse 10, No, they said to her, will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughter. She says this twice. Why do you want to go with me? And here's here's your point. Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? There was this Leverite marriage, right, that a brother, if she has a son, that brother then would marry the brother, the dead brother's wife, right? Because you want to continue on the heritage. How can we keep this heritage going for Orpah? It's not like a seal, Orpah? Orpah and Ruth, right? They're here. How do you carry on this this, uh, this lineage? And she's like, I'm too old to get married, have another kid, and then for you to wait for that kid to grow up and then you to marry that kid? Like, I can't do that. Crazy enough, in verse 12, return home, she says it again. My daughters, go on for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight. <laughs> like, if we can make something happen right tonight, tonight and then to the bear sons... Would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying for another 20 years or 18 years? No, my daughters, my life, and here it is, is much too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You know, this is a perspective. I mean, it's a perspective that Naomi has. And it's a crazy perspective. And this crazy perspective is is that she thought that there was multiple mistakes and that God's hand had literally been removed from her life. And I love what um, the scriptures say. That's when we're supposed to turn to Him. She had the opposite mentality in these dark moments, in these period of the judges over there. Right? She doesn't look to the Lord. She's bitter. She's ultimately bitter. In fact, go to Psalm 100, verse 5. This is the mentality that we need to have. We need to trust God's goodness in this, that God can redeem any of these situations. It's about, so what we talked about yesterday with the gospel. In Psalm 100, verse 5, it says this, for Yahweh is good and his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Psalm 119, verse 68. Psalm 119, verse 68. Again, it has this, this mentality of, Are we trusting in His faithfulness and His goodness? You are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. God, you are good. And Naomi had the opposite perspective. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. You know what that means? I know you lost your husband. I know you lost your sons. But I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna make it work for the good. If you love me, for those who are called according to this purpose, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to redeem this situation from Moab all the way back into Bethlehem. I'm going to redeem this, he says. And it really is a matter of perspective. Just think about all of these examples. Joseph thrown into slavery could have been bad. Another scenario of Israel and their years of captivity in Egypt could have been bad. How about the Red Sea and all these guys coming at you? That could have been really bad. And God redeemed all of these situations. The Gideon, man, there's 135,000 guys and all you're giving me is 300. That could have been bad, but God redeemed those situations. How about Jesus's death? Could have been bad, but he came back to life. Kevin, if you go to Isaiah 61, three, I love this verse. It says to provide for those who mourn in Zion. And look what, look what it says. To give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Festival oil instead of mourning and split in clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. God can redeem anything. Beauty from ashes and its a perspective. In verse 14 of Ruth one, it says this again, the sisters, the daughters, right? Uh, daughters, excuse me, the daughter-in-laws, they wept loudly. And Orpah, she kissed her mother-in-law, Naomi. And you know what she did? She left. She went back to her land in Moab. But Ruth clung to her. This picture of this clinging. I I mean, I, I just picture my little boy Jude. Whenever I walk around the kitchen, he has this game. He just likes to hang on your leg. So, like, whenever you walk, you guys have kids that I'm sure that have done that, and you're just like, right? But Ruth, right here, you guys, is showing, and I think an incredible picture, her loyalty. Her loyalty, not only, okay, not only to Naomi, but as you'll find out, it's a much bigger picture to the Lord. And because of Naomi's, loyal, uh, because of Ruth's loyalty, I think that's why she's one of the women listed in Jesus Christ's genealogy in Matthew 1. In fact, in Matthew 1, verse 3, they start listing these women and these women that are listed, I got to tell you, they're not the cream of the crop. I mean, they're the ones that have really caused some issues. Tamar. Tamar caused some issues. Then you go to verse 5. Here you have some other women. You have Rahab. She's the prostitute. And then you have Ruth, who fathered Obed with Boaz. We'll get to that in a little bit here. And then it keeps on going into verse 6. And then you have uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. So you have, you got some interesting women. But I do believe the reason that Ruth is in here is one, is, is her loyalty, not just to Naomi but to the Lord. And it's a really powerful picture. In fact, verse 15, Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. Naomi says, why are you still here? In fact, I want you, in fact, she's really, you know what she's really implying? Why don't you go worship? Uh, there's a, a, uh, the false god, Chemosh, the chief Moabite deity. Okay? And the, yeah, it's a weird one, Right. That was Martin. And remember, he requires child sacrifices. And so she's saying, I I need you to go follow. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't persuade me. And here it is, you guys. This is the key verse. But Ruth replied, don't persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. We just see Right here in verse 16, Ruth's conversion. Ruth declaring, I am in. I'm a follower of your God. And oh, by the way, he's my God. Your people are my people. And where you die in verse 17, I'll die in there. I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so. Scripture says severely, if anything but death separates you and me. In other words, nothing's getting in the way anymore. And in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. <laughs> and then in 19, it says the two of them, they, they traveled until they came to Bethlehem. They made it to the house of bread. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. There's the friends, there's the family. And the local women cl- exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Can I just tell you, she walks with bitterness. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. She's mad that she lost her husband. She's mad that she lost her two sons. And she has been walking with this bitterness. And Hebrews 12, 15 says, we cannot let the root of bitterness hold on to us. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it even says, let all bitterness be put away. You guys, as you walk with bitterness, you can tell. And then it says in verse 21, I went away full. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? You want to know what the reality of Naomi was? It was that God has hope for her and a future blessing. But when bitterness takes root into our lives, we don't see anything positive. We don't see anything of the flowers. We don't see anything of the harvest. We just see death. And Naomi was truly walking with bitterness. And all I want to just say is Psalm twenty five, Kevin, verse fifteen. Psalm twenty-five, verse fifteen. It's pretty powerful, and it goes back because we're in the period of judges, are we not? So, in some regards, you guys, Naomi falls into the trap of all of the other deliverers, all of the other judges. She took her eyes off of the Lord. Psalm twenty five, fifteen says, My eyes are always on the Lord. For he will pull my feet out of the net. Even if it's not good, Naomi, he'll pull you out. You keep your eyes on him. It's interesting, Kyle, that Ruth says, I want your God to be my God when Naomi's not really walking it out. And she's not even painting a picture of a positive God or a God that's loving or God that's going to get her back. And you're absolutely right, Kevin. In verse 22, to wrap all this up. So Naomi, she came back from the land of Moab, 60 to 75 miles, 7 to 10 day walk. She's probably just tired. She came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess one who is from Moab. And they arrived at Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. What an awesome picture. Here you have Ruth, who's legitimately excited, legitimately saying, I'm in regardless of the cost. And here you have a mother-in-law that doesn't want anything to do with any any of this situation. And so in Ruth 2, because uh, we're not going to cover it in tomorrow's teaching, just know this, that in Ruth 2... Boaz, a family member, okay, actually of Naomi, is introduced to Ruth in the first three verses. In verses four through 13 of Ruth two, Boaz begins to discover who Ruth is. And really what that means is is he, he says, I've heard about you. I've seen how you've actually taken care of Naomi. And I love his line. He even says he hopes that she gets the full reward from the Lord. Like Boaz wants to pour in and bless her. And at the very end of Ruth 2, 14 through 23, Boaz genuinely cares for Ruth. He has a concern for her and he wants to make sure that she's taken care of. And in verse 20, it says this about Boaz, Ruth 2, verse 20. It says when Boaz is being described, it says this man is a close, Naomi continued when, when Ruth was talking about him, she says the, the man is a close relative. Boaz is one of our family Redeemers. And so that's what you're going to have as a backdrop. Ruth interacting with the family redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, as we go into Ruth 3 tomorrow. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow.